Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Recent research on brain retention and memory capacity has found that our ability to access information so quickly today with the help of the internet and Google and our smartphones makes it actually less likely for us to remember the info that we're finding. It may not be too much of a shock to some of you, but that's how it is. This study also found that we're actually more likely to remember something if we make active effort to understand what we're researching and if we encounter something regularly. On the night before Jesus died, he said, Do this in remembrance of me. When he gathered his disciples for that last supper, he didn't want to just have a a final meal with them and his friends. He wanted them and he wanted us to remember the significance of what was going to happen, to remember and to participate in the celebration of his death. See, Jesus knows that we're prone to forget, that we need reminders. And that's why he said, do this in remembrance of me, giving you an active part to play, to to eat bread, to drink from the cup, so that we can remember him in a fuller way. And so this morning, we are going to remember the death of Jesus by celebrating communion, by taking part in the Lord's Supper. And admittedly, communion is always a tricky range of emotions, How am I supposed to feel? Am I supposed to feel sad and and solemn because Jesus died? Yes. Yes, we are. Am I supposed to feel happy and excited because he paid for all my sin and rose again? Yes. And and we wrestle with these emotions. And and wrestling with these emotions and entering in them actually helps us appreciate and remember the significance that much more. And so the hope this morning is that our appreciation for Christ's death would increase— which will then lead to a greater understanding of and participation in the Lord's Supper. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 to 34 today. So I invite you to flip to there in your Bibles. We're going to give some background information about communion first. Then we're going to finish with some practical tips on how we can all participate in communion well. Some of you, maybe you've grown up in church for for your whole life, or some of you, you're very new to this church thing, and you're saying, what even is communion? Maybe you've done it just lots of times, or you've watched other people done it lots of times, and you're just like, what is this? We want to start at the very base level here. What is communion? We're going to look at three things that will help describe what communion is that will be helpful for us to increase our understanding. The first thing is that communion is an ordinance established by Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus told his disciples to do this specific practice of remembering him. Luke twenty-two nineteen 19 is, is the gospel account where Jesus says, here, this is my body, do this. This is a, an ordinance, an instruction from 
Jesus himself for us to participate in, for us to actually practice. There are two ordinances in the Christian faith that Jesus has specifically said, I want you to do this. Baptism is one and communion is the other. Communion, Lord's table, just as a quick reminder or maybe some new information for you, is for believers in Jesus. Those who love, trust, follow Jesus. It's a way that we worship him, celebrate him. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, first of all, I hope that you would become a believer in Jesus Christ, that you would repent of your sin and that you would find forgiveness and hope and life and salvation forevermore. But if you are not there this morning, we invite you to observe and and, and ask questions, but we ask that maybe you would just let the elements pass by when we get to that part of the service because communion is for believers in Jesus. Jesus told us, do this in remembrance of me. We need reminders. And he gave us these tangible reminders. Again, the bread, physical bread, which symbolizes his body. And then, and then the cup, symbolizing his blood that was shed for us, that we might be forgiven. So communion is an ordinance established by Jesus. The second thing is that communion is a sign of the new covenant. A sign of the new covenant. Verse 25, in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. A covenant is a contract, an agreement, a promise between two or more parties. Now, there are multiple covenants in Scripture. God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. There are covenants between God and Noah, Abraham, Aaron, King David, but the most famous covenant was the one that he made with the entire nation of Israel. This is through Moses, okay? So when God rescued them out of Egypt, brought them across the Red Sea to Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments on the mountain. You've probably heard of that one. There were, those Ten Commandments were the stipulations of this covenant that God was entering into, this relationship with this people that he was creating. And he said that there was these conditions for this covenant. And if they didn't obey and fall, there would be curses for not obeying, but there would be blessings for obeying. Now, Israel failed over and over. They broke this covenant. They didn't keep their end of the bargain. And so they ended up receiving all those curses that were written down. These are curses that's going to happen. They received those. And the prophets, as you read the Old Testament prophets, the majority of their message is actually providing commentary on Israel's ability to either keep the covenant, hey, you're doing a great job, or they're breaking the covenant. You guys are not doing a good job. These curses are going to come upon you. But... Every now and again in the prophets, a word from the Lord would come of hope of a new and better covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34 is a great passage as an example. Looking forward, there's going to be a day where a new and better covenant is coming. There's going to be a better way for God to relate to his people. So when Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant, he was saying those days that Jeremiah prophesied about, they were starting, and his disciples would have figured this out. They would have been blown away. We, we were kind of like, ah, covenant, what's going on here? This is a huge deal. A new and better covenant was being instituted, one that was not based on our ability or lack thereof to obey God and keep all of his commands, but one that was based on Jesus' ability, his perfect righteousness, his complete obedience to keep the law of God on our behalf. 
You see, because of Christ, because of his life, because of his death, we now can have a secure relationship with God. Because of what he did, not because of what we did or what we do. Communion reminds us that we are part now of God's covenant family by grace through faith in Christ. He is our God and we are his people. Communion is a reminder of that. You are part of God's family because of what my son did for you. New covenant, everlasting covenant that can't be broken because it was fulfilled perfectly by Jesus. That's the hallelujah time. The third thing is that communion is a corporate proclamation. Verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11 it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The church was instructed to remember the death of Jesus, yeah, but also to remember and proclaim the resurrection of Jesus together as a group. Paul mentions coming together as a phrase or a similar phrase five times in verses 17 to 34. It's about a corporate proclamation, not just an individual, yes, Jesus died and yes, Jesus rose. We are actually joining in something that the church has done, has been proclaiming for 2,000 years. And so we, we come together approximately every four to six weeks here at the gathering, and we celebrate communion. We gather and we declare, we proclaim with one voice, Jesus suffered and died on the cross for our sins, but he rose again three days later and he conquered death and sin. That's what we proclaim. Communion is a corporate proclamation. That's where there's this range of emotions. It's sorrow, but celebration. He conquered sin and death. He's alive, and he's coming back. Now, one of the reasons that 1 Corinthians chapter 11 was written is because the church in Corinth was not celebrating communion well. Their corporate proclamation was marred because of their pride, because of their divisions, because of their lack of care and love for each other. Listen to verse 17 to 22. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Whoa. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have Nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Paul was upset. Paul was mad. He wrote to try to correct their sinful approach to communion because they, they, there was pride, there was factions, there was division, there was elitism. You can have some. No, you can't have some. Some people weren't getting any opportunity to participate in the Lord's Supper. Some people were having so much that they were getting drunk. So he was angry, and they were suffering severe consequences because of how they were flippantly treating the Lord's Supper. Verse 27 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. 
That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Whoa. Some people, the reason they were sick or even had died was because of how they were treating the Lord's Supper. That's a serious thing. And when I read and have heard that unworthy manner phrase, that's when I start to freak out. Maybe it, maybe it terrifies you. As a kid, it meant I would rather be safe and not sorry, so I just won't participate in communion. And maybe that's the, the approach that you have too. But see, here's the thing. If we can partake in communion in an unworthy manner, then logically it follows that we can partake in a worthy manner. That's an option. That's a possibility. But how do we do that? How do we celebrate communion well? How do we partake in a worthy manner? I want to look at four things quickly so that we can all partake in communion in a worthy manner together today. The first thing that we need to do is look back. Look back. Remember, verse 23, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. He was looking back. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. The primary focus of communion is the death of Christ. Looking back to what he has done for us. We need to remember, take time to remember the horrible death that he endured. Not primarily to focus on all the gory details surrounding it, but need rather to remember the purpose of his sufferings. To remember why he did this. That he suffered in our place, taking the penalty for our sin. Jesus is our substitute. Our sacrifice of atonement. He paid what we never could. First Peter chapter 2, 22-25 is a great summary of this. It says, When he, was re, uh, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thanks be to God for what Jesus has done. So we remember why he died, but we also remember how Jesus died. He died humbly, but he died willingly. He gave himself up for us. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He chose to save us. He chose to go to the cross. He chose to endure all that so that we could be saved, so that we could be rescued, so that we could be forgiven and brought to God's family again. So we need to look back and remember that. But then we also need to look ahead. We need to look ahead. Verse 26 again. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus conquered the grave. And the certainty of both his resurrection and his return, that's part of the celebration of communion. It's to give us joy, to give us courage, to give us hope and excitement because our sin has been completely paid for. Completely paid for. He paid the bill in full. And death 
couldn't hold our Savior. He came up out of the grave alive. He is alive, and he's coming back one day, and he's going to completely and fully establish God's righteous rule and reign forevermore one day. And so we look ahead, and we, and we, we have motivation to keep serving him. We look ahead. We say, Jesus, come, come. We look back, and we look ahead with excitement and thanks and worship. And then we look within. Verses 27 to 32, that self-examination passage that I briefly referred to there. Like I said, these are the verses that kept me from participating in communion as a, as a kid, as a teenager. I didn't fully understand what was going on. I didn't fully understand what it meant. So I just let the trays pass by. And Maybe you still do that. But I want you to know one important thing. Paul did not say that we had to be worthy to partake, but that we should partake in a worthy manner. What does that mean? When we examine ourselves, we take time to, to evaluate what's going on in our lives, we're likely to find that there's some kind of sin that maybe hasn't been confessed yet. That does not mean that we can't partake in communion. That means we should just confess that sin and understand that we're never going to be 100% worthy and recognize that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of God, and we take that sin, we confess it, we say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for this sin. I confess this to you. Search me, know me, so that I can participate. It's not, oh, man, I blew it last night, and communion's this morning, so I can't do it. No, confess this morning, and, and participate. And one of the major problems, again, that was going on for the church in Corinth was how they treated each other. So it's not just examining yourself, have I sinned against the Lord, but have I sinned against other people? See, because communion levels the playing field. It's impossible to have pride when you're celebrating communion because every single one of us needs the forgiveness of Jesus. You can't say that you're better than someone else or you need forgiveness less than, Jesus, than someone else or anything like that. We all need forgiveness. And so communion takes us to that same point. And we look around and say, do I have pride? Do I have this sense of elitism and arrogance around the other people in my church? If I do, I need to confess that. I need to deal with that. And then so partake in a worthy manner. So we look within. But again, it's not for the purpose of avoiding communion. Paul says in verse 28, he makes it very clear. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The goal of examination is confession and restoration leading to participation. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He wouldn't institute an ordinance that he didn't want us to do. He wants us to participate. And he wants us to do that work of confession and, and getting into those kind of dark and dirty places so that we can participate. He wants us to be able to enjoy the blessing of participating in communion in a worthy manner. Lastly, we need to look around. Look around. Verse 33 and 34 says, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. Communion is meant to be a family meal. The church, remembering, celebrating together. 
Large family meals usually don't go well when there's known tension and issues between family members. Generally, not a lot of joy around the Thanksgiving table when nobody's talking to each other because of what whoever said over here or because of what that person did. And it's just like, pass the gravy. (laughs) No. We are family. Brothers and sisters in Christ that are called to love each other, called to forgive each other, to look around, to do the work of forgiveness. 1 John 4, 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. As family. Communion is meant to be the time where as a family we celebrate together. We remember together. We give thanks together. So, Look around. Actually, look around this morning. Jesus went to the cross of the person on your left. Look at them. If you don't have anyone to your left, Jesus went to the cross of the person on your right. Look at them. If you don't have everybody on your right, Jesus went to the cross of the person behind you. Look at them. If you don't have anyone behind you, Jesus went to the cross of the person in front of you. Look at them. And Jesus went to the cross for you. He went for you. I want to challenge us to do something a little bit different this morning. Different, yeah. I want us to look around and to see if there's anybody here this morning that you need to seek forgiveness from. You need to make things right with. You need to restore the relationship so that the family can participate in unity in a worthy manner. We're actually going to create some space for this, okay? We're going to create space for us to look within and to look around. We're going to celebrate communion in just a few minutes. But before we do that, I want us to take some time to have that quiet examination so we can evaluate within and we can look around. Take the time to remember Jesus, to look back. Take the time to confess any sin that you need to to Jesus, but if you do need to confess something to someone else here, do that. If that means getting up out of your chair and going to where they're sitting so that you can make things right and things are good and you've got a clear conscience and you can participate in a worthy manner in communion, I strongly suggest you do that. And it might seem awkward, it might seem weird, but we're family. And family can be awkward and weird at times. But sometimes those weird and awkward moments strengthen the family like none other. Remember, Jesus established this for the church to do. He wants us to do this. He wants us to participate. He wants us to confess to him and to confess to each other. Father God, we thank you for a time of reflection. We thank you that you invite us to participate in communion. Most of all, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. He went before us suffered and died on that cross and paid the price for
for our sins. He was innocent. We thank you. He was willing to go. We thank you. Because of what he has done, we can be forgiven that his blood washes us clean, white as snow. Jesus, we thank you that you are alive. You are a living Savior. You're the living God. We thank you that you're coming again one day. Help us to look forward to that day with greater expectation and teach us to to live in a way that anticipates your arrival, your soon arrival. We thank you again for this morning. We thank you that we can meet together as a family. We can remember, we can celebrate. Help us to remember you, not just right now, but each and every day. And I pray, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified and pleased as we partake in the Lord's Supper together at this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.